Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. If you follow our Mountain Park Instagram account, you would have saw some of my killer Insta stories this morning. No, just kidding. There, I like. I take about six of them and I delete five, and then finally, I, I know you're not supposed to do that. With it's supposed to be like raw and organic, but I, um, I was just uh, on my normal drive this morning, which is from basically Marineland to. Queenston and then across York Road and I just love driving the parkway. In fact, actually, um, my, my wife is born and raised, Rochelle is from Southern Alberta. And so uh, I had lived there for many years. And so when you live in Southern Alberta, you get used to mountains and beauty and, and uh, this amazing stuff. And she had never been to Ontario. I had moved back here and um, and actually, we, we had dated for about a year, and then we, we broke up. We just felt like God saying, it's time to move on and do something else, and had no intention of ever getting back together again, really. And a couple years later, um, I'm not going to say the exact amount, because I don't know, but it was like a large time frame. She's nodding her head at me like, how dare you? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, a couple uh, years later, I was living here, she's living in Alberta, and like God sort of just kind of re-intersected us. And so her very first trip to Ontario was a Thanksgiving weekend. Her and her brother, who was, uh, was my best friend, and, um, and so they came. And I was terrified to make a good impression for her because... Uh, Rochelle loves the mountains. We both spent so much time in the outdoors. And so when she came, I decided that I was basically going to take one road everywhere. And that was the parkway. So it didn't matter where we were traveling in Niagara. We took the parkway. So if we had to go from our house in Niagara Falls to Costco, guess what? We took the parkway all the way around and then Lakeshore all the way around. For literally four days, I just kept driving the parkway with her and saying, see, it's beautiful here. I mean, there's not mountains, but look at it. It's so gorgeous here. And then finally, when she moved here, her first job was in Hamilton for Children's Aid and her office was right downtown on like Barton and like Kenilworth, Wentworth. And literally, so, so I've, I've primed the pump with these beautiful scenic drives. She lands and starts working like two days later in downtown Hamilton, Barton and Kenilworth. I drop her off for her first day or we drive together or something like that. First day in the office and this giant rat runs right across the parking lot in front of our car. And they don't have rats in Alberta. Just an interesting fact, there's no rats in Alberta. And she looks at it and just gets this mortified look on her face like, this is where I'm living now? Like, what have you done to me? Kind of thing. And um, I have no idea now why I even started this story. But um, there we go. So that was her experience. And um, I'm just going to move on. But uh, um, 
I, I honestly have no idea where I was going with that. <laughs> oh yeah, my drive this morning on the parkway, right. She had to remind me. <laughs> so, in my amazing Instagram stories. Anyway, so I stopped at my favorite spot on the parkway, which is uh, the aero car, the Spanish aero car. And I love that spot. One, because it gives you this view down the river that's just simply beautiful. And two, I love that spot because for the first probably year I lived here, when I would stand there and look across the river, I was convinced that I was looking across to the United States even though that's around Whirlpool and that's Canada. And I always got so confused going, well, the United States is across the river. How can that be Canada? And I would stand there just perplexed until I finally clued in as to what was happening uh, geographically in the area. And I love standing there because it's a reminder to me every time that what we see with our eyes can be easily deceptive that what we look at around us can trick us into believing things are that really aren't. That if we just observe really quickly, we take a quick glance at something that's happening in our life, it's so easy to look at it and come to a conclusion that's not really fed by the presence of God, but just fed by our own observation. And so often in our lives, we get tricked by believing what we believe about ourselves or what we see about our situation. And I want to read a couple of stories to start things off here. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it with me. Good luck reading it in here because we need to improve our lights. But you can open it anyway. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But in the Old Testament, the second book, this is the book of Exodus. Chapter 3, I want to set things up with a couple of stories. Exodus 3, verse 1. This is a story about Moses. Moses, um, obviously, has been born, because this is talking about him. Um, He's grown up in the house of the Pharaoh. He's an adopted son of the Pharaoh. He is privileged beyond belief growing up. He is an heir of royalty in Egypt. He's been adopted as Pharaoh's own into his household. When he's 40 years old, he realizes that he's adopted and that he's an Israelite. And it starts really messing with him. He starts to question everything he thought he knew about his life. Everything going on, he questions. And he gets into a confrontation that results in him fleeing his homeland, fleeing Egypt and going into the wilderness where for 40 years he lived in complete obscurity in the wilderness as a shepherd. So he's 80 years old when we meet up with him here in chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. If you have a Bible, you can circle that word wilderness. And came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You could underline that too. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. 
why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I'm gonna just pause that there and I'm gonna get you to turn with me a few books over to the book of Numbers, chapter 17. We're gonna cover a few stories about what happens when you place your life in the presence of God. This is Moses again, he's many years now, later down the road. He's led the nation of Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. They've been wandering in the wilderness and people are getting pretty uptight with him and his leadership and specifically with Aaron, the priest. Chapter 17 says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house from all their chiefs according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. Write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them. You can circle that or underline that. You shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. I'm gonna stop there. God can do supernatural things when we stand in his presence. When we stand in the presence of God the way that Moses did in the wilderness in front of the burning bush, and when we place ourselves in the presence of God like they did with these staffs from the leaders of the tribes of Israel, in God's presence, crazy supernatural things can happen. And as a church, we've been on a journey for the last year we started this crazy tradition last year with our breakthrough offering, and today we're gonna receive our planted offering. But last year, we started this journey of asking the question, God, what would we look like and what would this church look like if all we did was pursue your presence and seek to plant ourselves in your presence? What would life look like? And I can tell you, and we're gonna show you, that what God does when we plant ourselves in his presence is simply out of this world. So take a look at what he's been doing in the last year at our church. Yeah, so two years ago, I really, belief that a transition was um, the best thing for my life out of ministry and into the marketplace. And I was really excited about starting a totally new chapter. And I got about three or four, maybe five months into that. And um, God started challenging me with my plans about my future. And my family and my friends started to really challenge me too about what it was that God wanted to do with my life. And so I had it all sorted out and figured out, but unbeknownst to me, 
um, God had some different things in mind for my future. That very first Sunday in February on the 19th of 2017, I did this drive that I do every Sunday now, which is along the parkway, uh, basically from Marineland all the way down into Nagman Lake. And um, this particular spot right here by Dufferin Islands and this area here is where on that very first Sunday, I think probably genuinely for the first time in my life, I had said, okay, God, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't understand this. I don't get what you're inviting me to do. But for the first time in my life, I wanna follow you and trust you with something that doesn't benefit me. I'm not looking for what makes me happy anymore. I'm looking to be obedient. When I think back to before Andrew and I were married even, I remember him telling me some words that were spoken over him about things that he would do in his future. And part of that was speaking. This was exactly the call that God had laid on Andrew's life so many years before. And this was the thing that was coming to fruition. This was the thing that was now turning into the thing that he had been prepared for. I was actually here at a worship night experience. I was standing sort of in the back corner and during one of the songs I just, um, I just began to weep. Um, I think I'd been in a season where this was the kind of experience I wanted to see in church. It was the kind of thing I wanted, not just for myself, but for my family and for my kids. And um, I actually had this moment where I felt like someone walked past me and brushed my arm and I opened my eyes and there was no one there. And I just was so aware um, that the Holy Spirit was here. And I felt like he was saying um, that this was an opportunity for me to come and be a part of what he was doing. Being a part of what's happening here at Mountain Park and what God's inviting us to, even in these intimate moments, is so special. It's such an honor and a privilege for me um, to be allowed to be a part of what He's doing in and through us. At our revival nights a couple months ago, um, we had a really cool experience uh, in worship and people really just going deep and, and Pastor Andrew came up and really um, challenged our church to go deeper and watching the whole room from front to back be on their knees just an absolute awe and wonder before the Lord was incredible and seeing people from the platform um, even stop playing 
just because they weren't able to contain themselves and having people come pray for them on the stage was such an incredible moment to see it wasn't just um, emotion, it wasn't just a moment, but everyone was changed. When I lead worship, it comes out of a, um, a desire to see people experience God's presence. Like, that's, that's it. Um, worship is where God did His biggest and deepest work inside of me. And so if I can be used to create a space um, and to create an atmosphere where God is just free to do what He wants, where people, um, they just, they maybe see something that they're like, that's, I want, I want just a piece of that, or I want, I want that in my life. And that would change, it would change the atmosphere on a Sunday, it would change the atmosphere in their homes, in their lives, like everything they do would outflow out of this, this change that happens by just experiencing His presence. One of the coolest things that happened at Revival Nights that we had here in the fall um, was on the Saturday night, we actually just had people pray for each other. And a few um, weeks later, actually, someone came up to me at church and said that um, she had been set free from her addiction to smoking that night. She normally would have been so anxious to get out of the service and get home and have a cigarette, but um, literally she went home and the craving was gone. She was expecting there to be a hard road ahead of her because she had tried before to quit, um, but God had just removed um, all the addiction from her life. But the cool thing was when she had emailed me, she realized that it wasn't just that addiction to the cigarettes being gone, that it was unraveling other things in her life spiritually, that she realized she depended on the cigarettes more than she was depending on God, that she was trusting in those moments more than she trusted God. And it was like, just spiritually, it unraveled this whole thing in her life that was so cool what God was, was doing in her. So one of the things that um, one of the things that we've really come to believe so deeply is that God wants to work as powerfully in our kids as He does in us. And I think it was Pam months and months ago came to our staff and she told us a couple of stories about what God had been doing in the lives of the kids and. She just said to us as a team, she said, guys, we're not a babysitting service and we're not an entertainment service. God wants us to spiritually invest in the lives of our kids. So I was uh, doing my devotions one day and just, I felt like God was just speaking a lot of things to me about kids' ministry and I was writing it down and I started thinking about how in our society, in our culture, we have things so separate. When you go into a store, there's a kids' section and there's an adult section. There's kids' movies and adult movies, kids' pricing and adult pricing. And when you go into a restaurant, there's a kids' menu and an adult menu. And I felt so clearly like the Holy Spirit saying to me, like, God does not have a kids' menu. Like in the kingdom of God, that doesn't exist. That is something we've created here in our society and we, he doesn't operate like that. Like God has been using children from the beginning of time in huge life altering 
ways that have literally changed the course of history and he's always done that and he always will. So we just have the choice if we're gonna be a part of that or and recognize that or if we're just gonna not recognize that and let that time go by. And so that's been a huge challenge to me of realizing that there's nothing that is in the Bible that is beyond the comprehension of a child and that our job is just to bring those truths to them and then let God do the work that he's going to do. Over our last year here, we've had two really big baptism services, uh, one being a couple weeks ago, which was such an incredible experience, having almost the entire church come up and surround the people at the front that were getting baptized, even coming up on the stage and having to like move my microphone back during worship in order to even allow people to see everyone getting baptized. It felt like such a family moment and that everyone was celebrating the new life that we were experiencing in and through our church. Yeah, one of, one of the cool moments in one of the baptisms we had was when three brothers um, just began to em embrace each other and, and, and encourage each other and support each other. So that really melted my heart, being a father and having uh, three adult children myself to see such genuine, that's what it was, such genuine love for each other. And they were experiencing this together as three brothers. He was raising up these teenagers, raising up these boys to have a fresh encounter with Jesus together. I was so excited in our last baptism to have, we had three kids who chose to be baptized, which is so amazing. And I feel like it just shows the excitement that the kids have, that they are really taking their faith seriously and they want to do the next step to just proclaim the faith that they have in Jesus. And, um, and they're wanting to tell their friends and family what God is doing in their life. Um, it was so amazing to be able to just be right in there and baptizing the kids. And the thing I really loved is we uh, specifically just prayed and asked God for a word to say to them or something to speak over their life, which was so impactful. Um, one of the boys that was getting baptized, I really felt like God was asking me to encourage him to be bold and to trust him and that in his boldness that God was going to ask him to do things and that if he listened to God and he obeyed, that God would show him amazing things in his life. And that's what I said to him in the tank when he was baptized. And, um, and then one of our other pastors shared with us that at the end of the service, he approached one of the pastors and said that he felt like God was asking him to pray for another uh, member, another lady in our congregation. And he had asked the pastor, would that be okay? He didn't know her, if he could just go up to this lady that's a stranger to him and pray. And of course, our pastor encouraged him and was like, absolutely. And when I heard that, I just felt so excited for him and I felt so proud of him that he was taking that seriously and that he was so quick to practice the words that God had for him and he wasn't afraid to step out and to trust God and listen and hear God's voice, what God's asking him and step out in faith and take action and do what God's asking him to do. Now with you and discern, God, how do you want us 
to properly leverage this resource, this offering that you've brought in. Last summer, we had this crazy idea that we felt God calling us to end the year with a series of faith and expectation, but to end the year in the middle of December when you're supposed to do a Christmas series, to end the year with an opportunity for people to bring an offering to God, an offering that is a thank you for everything he's done, but also an offering for the growth and expansion of the work and the ministry that he wants to continue to do here. And I thought it was an awesome idea in the summer. As we got closer to that offering, I started getting scared. And I thought to myself, wow, that is bold. People are scared even to talk about money. They're very private about it. So personally, I thought, I don't know whether this is gonna work. I remember the Sunday of the offering. Uh, I was on the stage, I was preaching, and um, I don't even really remember what I said. I just remember being terrified as the minutes were counting down to when we were gonna take the offering. I was terrified. I had no idea if people were gonna respond. I, I didn't know if they were gonna rebel and push back on me. Like, I had no idea of what was gonna happen. I, I, I invited Rochelle up onto stage with me to, I think more just to help me get through that moment. And we gave our offering first. And when, when I invited people to come forward, it was like people jumped out of their seats to get in line to bring their offering to God. What happened is when I, when I witnessed the, the whole, all the walls lined up with people, with teenagers, with, uh, with families, husband and wives, single people, just lining up to come to the front to put their offering in, I was just weeping. I said, God, I doubted you. I remember seeing this line of people around the whole auditorium. And I was looking at Brandon and some other of our staff in that moment going, I don't even know how this is happening right now. But God is doing something profound and special in this moment. And that for me was one of the first times that, that I really experienced um, just sense of profound faith, like, okay, God, you can do what we think is impossible. In some ways, you think you can't top last year. What are you gonna do? How's that gonna go? And on the other hand, I feel like God's been speaking and teaching me this year about his goodness and his love. This is a love that has no height or no depth or width. The word that I feel like I, I come to a worship night or I come to those revival nights, just come expecting. So I think this year, I wanna come expecting again. Not what I can do, not what we're gonna do, but come expecting when people come sacrificially, when people come and bring something that hurts a little or costs a little, this is where we're gonna be able to see God move. This is where we're gonna be able to see His hand and His provision come through. I think that one of the things that God has been showing me personally over the last year is that we are called to partner with Him. 
um, to see his plans and purposes established in our own lives, but also in our families and in our region. And as, as we are being called in this season to be planted, it's not just um, for us as a church or as a collective group, but it's actually that each one of us would know that we are firmly planted in the person of Jesus Christ, that we would know that we have that stability um, in our own lives, that, that there's that trusting relationship with the Lord that we are planted. When I think of what is ahead for us, I get really excited because I actually believe that the closer we get to God, the more He reveals his heart to us, the, the deeper our relationship goes with him, the stronger our life becomes, the more strength we have, the more peace we have, the more hope we have, the more joy we have, the more freedom we have. And what gets me so excited is I'm starting to hear stories now of people who are walking in new levels of spiritual vitality and what is, more powerful than anything is not that we have amazing preaching or worship on the stage. It's when every single person in our church gets it, that God wants to use them powerfully in their own life, on their own street, with their own neighbors, with their own friends, that He actually wants to use them to bring freedom and life to those people around them. He actually wants to mobilize them to carry his goodness and his faithfulness everywhere they go, his kingdom authority and his kingdom purpose everywhere they go. I love that we're getting to see the beginnings of God mobilizing a whole church full of people who are carrying the kingdom of God everywhere they walk, whether it's in their workplace or in their home, because where God goes, where his presence is found is peace and hope and life and joy and freedom. That's what we get to carry to our community and to our families and in our workplaces. And it's amazing to see the stories of what God is already starting to do as he begins to, to bring renewal and revival to our lives spiritually. This is where we're going in 2019, is further into that, further into his presence, his authority, and into learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and have the boldness and the courage to trust him with the big things that he's inviting us to do. I cannot, wait to hear the stories in another year of the supernatural things that God has done, the divine appointments that he has put together that only he could so that people can experience a totally new and transformed life. We had six hours of interview footage of different people telling the stories of what God has done in this last year. That is just the tip of the iceberg. We had to cut it off somewhere. But what God has done in this church, in, in your lives, is 
profound. What he's enabled us to do is profound. And I want to just pick up on something as we prepare to give together. I want to just finish reading. So God meets Moses and he says to him, you're standing on holy ground. You are in my presence, Moses. You are in the midst and in the middle of my presence. And God says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up into a land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Parasites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, I will be with you and this shall be a sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What I love about this story is God meets Moses. Moses is sitting in the presence of God and God doesn't go on to tell Moses about all of his deficiencies and all of his lack. He doesn't tell Moses how categorically unqualified he is for the assignment ahead. The, the very thing that God does is speak about himself and his character and his nature and who he is. He's not pointing out to Moses what Moses already knows about himself. God, I'm not qualified. I don't have the resources. I don't have the experience. I'm, 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 I'm a sinful man, God. I haven't been walking with you long enough. I don't have the maturity. Instead, God simply reminds Moses that what does or does not qualify you has little value to me. Because when you're in my presence, who I am and what I've done and what I say about you eclipses anything that you could ever bring to the table. And what God is reminding me about, even in this season, and what he's reminded me about in this last year in the life of our church is that if we plant ourselves in his presence, what we don't have is irrelevant. Who we aren't is irrelevant. What we struggle with is irrelevant. What our limitations are is irrelevant. All of that is irrelevant when we hear the voice of God declaring who he is and what he's done and what he's about to do through us. He's not asking you if you're qualified today. He's not asking you if you're a good enough or mature enough Christian. He's not asking you if you've saved up all of this resource. He's not asking you any of those things. He's not auditing your account and your life right now. He's simply declaring who he is and what his heart is and what his plans are for the future. And all he's asking is, would you be willing? Would you be willing to go? If I lead you, would you go? 
If I'm ahead of you, would you go? And of course we hear from Moses and he starts to go down the list of everything that disqualifies him for the call. And then God says, okay, let me meet you halfway here. Chapter four, Moses said, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. They'll say, the Lord didn't appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside. So he put his hand back inside. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. I love this analogy in here of this staff that Moses had the opportunity to throw down. That staff was a representation of Moses' control in his life. It actually says that, that he would use that to herd the sheep, that he used that to, to hem in those areas of his life and provide stability and control. This is the way that Moses made a living. This is what identified him. Moses used this staff to, to bring predictability to his life, to bring financial benefit to his life. He used this staff to keep control of everything in his life. And God was saying, look, I know that that stuff is good and I've, and I've gifted you to do that. But, but in my hands and in my presence, that staff that you use for control becomes a supernatural thing. In your hands, it's just a stick. But in my hands, it's a rod of authority. And God is just speaking to us and saying, look, you can be great money managers. You can be great family people. You can be great neighbors and you can be great in your workplace. In your hands, those things, they're just like sticks. But in my hands, if you throw the staff down in my presence where I am, that staff will become something supernatural and powerful. In your hand, it's just a stick. In your hand, your finances are just a stick. In your hand, your abilities are just a stick. Your wisdom is just a stick. What you have to offer is just a stick. But if you would throw it down in the presence of God, that stick becomes a source of God's authority and his power to go from controlling a few hundred sheep to hurting millions of people out of bondage and slavery. That same stick was used to strike the water to part the seas. That same stick was used to strike a rock to bring water out of nothing. That same stick was held up in battle to give Israel victory. That same stick that was just a piece of wood in Moses' hand for 40 years in the desert became a powerful tool for God's kingdom to come on the earth. That stick that they laid down in the presence of God, Aaron's staff. Do you know what happened to that? Overnight, God caused that stick, that dead piece of wood to bud 
produce almonds and come to full ripeness in one night. You can do a study, I encourage you, on almonds in the Bible. It's fascinating culturally what almonds signify and the almond tree signifies. In your hands, these things at best are just sticks, but God is inviting you and I to lay our lives like sticks at his feet to be planted where his presence is because where his presence is, there's life and freedom and hope and peace and joy and healing. He wants to take your sticks and turn them into a mighty rod of his authority and his victory. I was thinking about this and those sticks, God just reminded me of Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. The withering leaves is not a picture of this supernatural, like making everything one season. It's a picture of God's purpose and ability to sustain you through the dry seasons of life. To give you what you need if you're planted in his presence, God will give you what you need to sustain you in every season of your life. And then I was thinking about a tree and what happens with trees when they grow tall, they, they give shade. And I was just saying, God, what... Show me something in the New Testament that could relate to this. And he reminded me of Acts chapter 5, where it says that, that Peter and the apostles were performing so many miraculous signs that people would literally bring their sick and, and the demonized out into the streets and lay them on the streets so that just the shadow of Peter's body would pass over them and heal them. Just his shadow, the shade, the canopy of the work that God had done in his life because Peter sat in the presence of Jesus. Just the shade of that brought healing. And that God reminded me of these other sticks, these handkerchiefs that people would bring to Paul so that Paul could bless them and then they'd send them and those handkerchiefs would carry the power of God to heal people and to set them free from oppression. And to bring the kingdom of God, it's just a stick, but in God's hands, it's a powerful tool. Your life can be a powerful tool for God. The question is, are you willing to throw it down? I just felt like God speaking two things to me. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And they're kind of cheesy. And I was trying so hard to think of not a cheesy preacher thing to say, but... The first one is this. God asked Moses to throw his sticks down. And I feel like God is saying to you and me, if you will throw, I will show. And if you will go, I will show. So often in our life, we say, God, you show, then I'll go. And God says, no, 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 no. You throw the stick down and then I'll show you what I can do with that. But until it leaves your hand, it's just a dead piece of wood. 
You throw it down and then I'll show you what I can do. You go to where I'm calling you to go, then I'll show you what I can do around you. And I haven't fully grasped this until even this year in my life. When I literally threw my life down at his feet like I talked about in that piece, I said, literally, God, I'm just a stick. But if throwing myself at your feet will enable you to do things in me and through me that I can't do on my own, then I'm, I wanna try it out. And God has been teaching me and walking me on this journey of every day, throwing the stick down and saying, God, in my hand, my family, I can't do it. So I throw this stick down. God, my finances in my hands, relatively useless. So I throw the stick down. God, this church, I can't lead it. Throw the stick down. And I just had this picture this week, last two weeks of this region. And I just had this, this vision of people just driving these dead sticks into the ground in their yards and in, in their workplaces and all over the place, driving these dead sticks into the ground and, and under the presence of God, these dead sticks becoming these huge towering trees that bring life and shade and peace and hope to our region. And that's what God is inviting us to do in this next year, is to take what we have the stick that's in our hands and just throw it down and say, God, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to use this in only the way that you can. This year, like you know, many of you, some of you, I don't know, God provided for us last year's crazy supernatural amount in this breakthrough offering we took last year. And then as we went through the year with our parking lot and outside, it was like one roadblock after another. And we kept saying, God, we're trying so hard to be faithful, but every turn is just struggle. And every turn, the plans keep changing and we don't know what to do. God, what do we do? And he just kept saying, just throw the sticks down and trust me. You know, what's amazing is that because we were faithful with what he gave us last year. Not only were we able to complete that renovation downstairs, but this year, by the end of the year, at least north of $60,000, we will have just sown outside of our church to our community, to people who need help practically through gas, gas cards and grocery cards, sending money across the world, building homes for people in Mexico. God has enabled us to do that because of what he's provided. And on top of that, because our team has been so faithful, I'm so proud of them. We have over $100,000 sitting in the bank as seed money to finish what God was starting outside in our parking lot. And he's just saying, look, if you'll be faithful with this little stuff, just these little things, then what I wanna do is entrust you with more people's lives, with more people's hearts, with their families. 
And he's saying, if you'll just take this little bit, even this building and make it maximum efficiency for my purposes, then I will do things in this little junky old building that you couldn't even imagine. I'll fill it four or five times over if you allow me and if you prepare the space. So this year, that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna keep sowing. We're gonna finish the parking lot and the outside. And God has just said, maximum efficiency here is having a super full auditorium packed out, being able to minister to kids and do everything we need to midweek. We'll fill the building over and over and over again. And then what we get to do is take the resources that he provides and then begin to place them all over the world. This church, I am telling you, if we follow God, I'm saying this prophetically, that people will be coming and going, crisscrossing across the world in any given month, exercising the kingdom of God and their spiritual authority across the earth. We'll be receiving people from all over the earth and we'll be sending you all over the earth. That's the stuff that God wants to do in our church and in our lives. And he's saying, would you just be willing to throw your sticks down in my presence and let me do something with them? Let me bring life and peace and hope to you. Would you just surrender yourself to me? We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.